0: If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 8, Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. That pass through the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Would you just pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word. And we just agree together, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, that your spirit would just reveal to us those things that we need to hear, those things we need to see, that you'd broaden our view of you that we would see you as the exalted one, the infinite one, the all-knowing one, the majestic one, our Lord. We thank you, Lord, for showing us these things in your word. And we ask for your presence here now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Psalm 8, short psalm, but what a way to start any kind of anything. If you were going to start a letter, if you were going to start a a poem, if you were going to start a note to somebody, if you were going to start a letter, if you were going to start a conversation with somebody, how much better could it be than, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, we're taught, and the, the Lord taught us to pray how, and how to start. Our Father, who art in heaven. There's something about A person or people who know who their God is they have a a true and right understanding of his exalted position and we sing a lot of songs and we sure do sing a lot of songs that exalt the Lord and yet in me me doing this study for this this sermon I'm finding that you know what my days don't always start with the Lord exalted on high And I realized that all my days don't go as well as they should. And I found myself one morning dragging around and all the days, whatever you want to call them, you know what they are, the pressures, the the questions, the issues. And I found myself getting heavy and worn down. And I thought, no, 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 no. So I began to praise the Lord, just like Paul had preached not that long ago. You praise him for who he is. You praise Him, and you exalt Him, and you set your eyes way above everything down here. And I'm telling you, I was revived like I never thought was possible. It, was, it wasn't just an s- emotional thing. It was something came over me that was just, a, and I, I can't explain it. Like you get a little electric shock, you know, where you're just jolted, and you realize that, you know what? In studying this and reading some things, you know, I realized that maybe for me, my God had become too small. It's easy for God to become too small. So the psalmist here, and it would be David, starts out with, O Lord, our Lord. It's a personalized addressing of the Lord of all creation. It's an acknowledgement that the Lord of all creation... He who, whose name is excellent in all the earth, whose name is magnified in all the earth, whose name is glorified in all the earth, whose name is higher than everything in the earth, is your Lord. Not just the Lord, but our Lord. You now we know Psalms. many psalms start out with high praise of God. All the time. This is what the psalms are about. It's high praise to God. It's an acknowledgment. It's, a, it's a, 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 a place where we take our minds and we take them to places we can never reach the end. We can never find the end of our infinite God, can we? We can never exalt Him high enough. Psalm 48.1 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. I think we've sung that here, haven't we? We sing a lot of great songs that come right out of Scripture. Psalm 95 says, For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And we sing this song, 1 Chronicles 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. You know, we know that the heavens, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God everything that surrounds us when we look at creation what do you see do you see resources to be exploited and made money with or do you see a creation and you see a God who's way outside of it and is greater than all the glory that we can possibly see in creation he is above all that he is greater than that. his glory is far above the heavens in which he created. So the psalmist makes it plain to us that our Lord is the one whose name, whose person, whose character is exalted above all the earth and above all the heavens. This is who we serve. This is our Lord. How small is he? He's not small at all, is he? Yet it seems to me in my own life That sometimes the smallest things in life become bigger than Him. That's terrible, isn't it? Nothing in this life, nothing in this world should ever be bigger than our God. If you would just turn over to, you can keep your finger there, Isaiah 40, one of my favorite passages. Isaiah chapter 40, familiar. It's a description of God. It's a description of who he is, and how grand he is, and how big he is, and how majestic he is. In verse 12, Isaiah writes, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance, Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the very aisles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before Him are as nothing, and they are counted by Him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare Him? How big is your God? How large is He in your life? How majestic is He when you start the day? How great is He? If he can hold the oceans and We know God doesn't have hands, right? We know he's even bigger than that. But that the nations and the people of the nations are just the dust that settles on a scale. He's large. He's bigger than you and I could ever imagine. He goes on to say in verse 21, Have you not known and have you not heard... Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. You like being like grasshoppers? We're like grasshoppers. (laughs) The inhabitants of the earth are like these little chirpy things that are just scattering all around the world and on the earth. And to God, they're but grasshoppers. Does that make them worthless? No. We'll see in a moment that man has much dignity. In verse 25, he says, To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things Who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and by the strength of his power, not one is missing. Behold our Lord. Whom do you make equal to him? Or what do you make equal to him? There's too many things in our lives that we tend to let become equal or greater to him. J.I. Packer in his book Knowing God, which I have not finished reading, but some interest very interesting things to read in J.I. Packer's book. He says this, the Christian's instincts of trust and worship are stimulated very powerfully by knowledge of the greatness of God. When you're when you're Perception, when your understanding, when my understanding becomes to where I understand God and I see Him as great and as majestic and as infinite and as all-powerful as He is, my worship increases and so does my trust. It's only when the church or you and I allow Him to become too small. I was reading several authors, some from the early part of the 1900s, some from the middle of the 1900s. You read the same thing in some of these men's writings. And that is this, that Christendom, the church, has made their God too small. We're talking early 1900s, we're talking generations ago, where these men are seeing that in church, in Christians, Their God is too small. In our not-too-distant past, probably more like in the 70s, Christianity has focused so much on God being personal, which he is, that they've lost some of his majesty and some of his greatness. He certainly is personal, but he is majestic and he is great. And he transcends all of us. So back in Psalm 8. Back in Psalm 8. I should have cut my finger there. He goes on to say, Contrasted with the greatness of God, as the psalmist starts, the exalted one whose name is excellent in all the earth, who have set His glory above the heavens. What does He say? He contrasts how He ordains strength. How does He demonstrate His power to those who are His enemies? He does it through who? Verse 2, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. There's something about God who chooses to use the most desperate, dependent, needful, trusting individuals to show himself strong. It's only as we see ourselves as little children. Didn't Jesus say that we need to be converted and become as children? Not act like children, but to become like children. And everyone in here, for the most part, I think, has had children or knows somebody who has children. But as a parent, you know that your child has what? There's nothing about that child that generally doubts you. There's nothing about them that's all tense about, what do I need to do? What what do I need to do for dad so that he'll be pleased with me, so that he'll give me something? Children don't do that. They trust their parents. They have a confidence. They lean upon them. We know that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And he has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. So verse 3, and this is where I want to get to. Verse 3. Here's David contemplating, meditating. You know, he's, he's, he's observing or considering the moon and the stars. I assume this is a nighttime meditation, taking a walk. I don't know where David would have found time in between texting and tweeting and Facebook and phone calls and what's going to happen tomorrow and everything else that unfortunately you and I allow as part of this world, to envelop our minds. And it's so hard now to go out in the world and observe the moon and the stars as David did, as simply as he did. To give consideration to the greatness of the creation that we live in and the God who created it. We are so busy doing this I wish I didn't have a phone. And I was thinking there's people, there are, there are people in this room right now who will never remember a day without a device. There are probably people still in here, maybe, who remember when televisions came out. When I I don't know if we go back far enough for, I don't think we go back far enough for automobiles. We won't go that far. Nobody, nobody would admit to that one anyway. I'm just saying our world has changed. And David is here considering what? Verse 3. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. He's, he's observing creation. He's observing the moon and the stars. The vastness of the universe from his perspective And he's looking at the glory of it. And he's considering that all the things that he sees are but works of God's fingers. Little bitty. Not much to it, right? When compared to the greatness of God, all of his creation, the moon and the stars, and all those things that have been ordained by him and set in their place for their purpose are but works of his fingers. Little bitty nothing. And yet, it's so glorious to us. Or it should be. I would really like, personally, for me, to spend more time in my backyard looking at the trees, watching a bird. I'm starting to sound like an old guy. I know. <laughs> There's something about it, though, that renews your, your thinking about Who is our Lord? Look at all these things that He created. You can take one kernel of wheat and plant it and get thousands of kernels. You couldn't do that in a million years. I don't care what you had. The simplest things to the grandest things in this world. All are showing us His majestic glory. And and David writes, When I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. He asks this question. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? What a question. In light of the vastness and the glory of God's universe and the immensity of it, David asks, what is man? And that word there has to do with what is mortal, frail, frail? Men, that you even, that, that you in your glory and your infiniteness and all this power and all these things that you created, what is man that you even give him a thought? As if I was God and I saw humanity the way it is, and its stubbornness and its rebellion and its lack of giving him glory and lack of being thankful to him and their stubbornness and their self-will. Why would I give you a thought? Why would I give me a thought if I was God? What is man that you are mindful of him? What a question. And that's the title of my message. What is man? I doubt many of you sit around and ponder that. What is man? But you know, philosophers for hundreds of years have asked the question, What is man? What's man's purpose? What are we? Well, if we don't define it, if we in Christianity, if we in churches, do not listen carefully and allow the scriptures to define who we are, the world will. The world will tell you and define for you who man is. Because the world does that all the time. It has defined mankind right now. It's defining mankind. But to have an understanding. This isn't just a philosophical thought. This isn't just a a lesson in philosophy, because I'm certainly not a philosopher. I find some of it interesting, but I'm not a philosopher. Some of it's, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I go there. But it's not just a philosophy about what man is. Because to have an understanding of our own existence and our purpose, when we truly understand who man is and why God would even give us a second thought or a first thought or any thought at all, it will determine the way you live, the way you act, the way you think, the way you talk. Because there is only one purpose for man. If we're created by God, we've been created for a purpose, haven't we? Anything outside that purpose is catastrophe. So we need to always be aware of the fact, what has God, why has He given any mind to us, and why Would he bother with us? Why would he visit us or take care of us? Well, the world and its ways will define you. If I took your body, and we've all heard this, if I took your body and boiled it all down, burned it all down, and reduced it down to minerals, you're worth about five bucks. Nice thought, isn't it? Maybe seven if the commodities market comes up a little. Seven dollars I might be able to get for you. Or me that's all we are isn't it and wasn't that the way we were in the beginning how did God create man formed him out of the dust of the earth when it comes down to it some in the world want to classify us as nothing more than a group of cells and molecules and minerals and therefore if you think like that you can abort a baby See, this is why we need to know who is man, what are we, who are we, what are we to the world? Because if you just think of man as nothing more than a homo sapien, nothing more than a naked ape, nothing more than a more developed baboon, you can take a gun to a police officer's head and shoot him, because you have nothing. There to tell you who you are and why you're here. Our lives, our purpose, our actions, our ethics all depend on what man is and how we define it. We can be be defined by the world economically, can't we? Oh, that's, you know, how much can you produce? Thomas just got a new job. Let's see what he's worth. Your net worth is all that matters, right, in some institutions. That's what man is. Man is is nothing more than a person or a, 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 a thing that produces things and pushes the economy along. That's what we are, right? That's what man is. That's not what man is. Or socially, what is man? And when I say man, you, you do know I'm still talking about you ladies. We're talking about mankind, not just men. Socially, where do you stand in this world? Are you a nobody? Are you a somebody? Are you a leader? Are you the president? Are you a governor? Who are you? Does that define man? How about our intellect, our intelligence, our wisdom? We tend to put a lot of value on a lot of things that really don't define man. There are only ways in which the world wants to kind of categorize humanity. So if we were to answer the question, what is man, by the world or our culture, using worldly wisdom apart from Scripture, we would be so far off track, we would never fulfill the purpose in which God has placed us on this earth. Because our focus would be wrong, wouldn't it? We'd see ourselves incorrectly. The only way we can function purely and without corruption in this world is to know who we are as God sees us from the beginning. Because man was created for a purpose. God said in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That's a big deal, isn't it? The dignity of man over all of his other creation, all the other animals. He says within himself, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So here man is the, the ambassador to the world, representing him, reflecting an image of God. We on this earth, our purpose is then to be a reflection of who God is. See, if we don't do that in our lives, if we allow something else to define that and we lose track of that, your life becomes a little jumbled. You wonder why things don't go quite like they should. Well, maybe we've just gotten a little off track. We've lost sight of the one who created us. We've lost sight of who is man. And why would God waste a second thinking about him? From the dust of the earth, he forms man, and he does what? He breathes into him the breath of life. And man becomes a living soul. So if we were going to ask the question, and it's already been asked through centuries. But if we were to use the Westminster Confession of Faith, what is the chief chief and highest end of man? This is you and I, friends, right? And the answer they came up with was man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The single and sole purpose of man is to glorify Him. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we can't walk in these good works automatically if our idea is askew as to who we are and what our purpose is. We'll walk according to the world. We'll walk according to some philosophical idea about who man is. So here we are to be image bearers. We are to be God's image bearers in this world. How do we do that? We do it by appreciating Him. We do it by giving Him adoration, praise, and glory. We show Him our affection and our love. And we live in subjection to our Lord. Could we say that if we love God and love others, we ultimately will fulfill the purpose by which we've been placed on this earth. It's that simple, isn't it? Just do that. Just leave here and do that. Just love God and love others. And you will be an image bearer of God. So amidst all of God's creation, David asks the question, what is man? That you are mindful of him. And the son of man, that you visit him. Here we have all of God's glorious creation magnifying him as we look at it. And yet man becomes the very pinnacle of all of it. Because why? It says in verse 5, it says, For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Man was to rule with a crown. Man was to rule with honor. In this earth, man was to reflect God as the one who had given him authority in this earth. Now, if you've been given authority by someone and all you're expected to do is take the authority given you and apply it to where you've been purposed, can you do that? Or or do you take your own authority and apply it to your purpose? Because there's a big difference between knowing that we've been given authority and just trying to have authority. I mean, when Jesus came across the centurion and he said that he had great faith, what did the centurion say? He says, listen, you don't need to come to my house, Jesus. All you need to do is speak the word because I understand authority. I understand that if you've been given authority by God to speak to this situation then it has to obey. Just like me as a centurion, if I say to somebody, go and do this, they go and do it in my authority. We live in this world with the authority given to us by God. We don't generate our own authority. We don't generate our own ways of of displaying His glory. We reflect what's been given us But what happened? What happened when sin came into the world and that image was marred? It was corrupted. Did we lose sight of something? Did humanity lose sight of the very image that they were given in the fall? They sure did. They gave up giving God the glory as the creator and they began to serve the creation. They began to serve themselves. The image that God had placed within them didn't disappear, but it was marred. It was corrupted. We lost something, didn't we? But you know, the good news is that another image-bearer came on the scene and bore God's image perfectly. You know, you think in the garden man was created in God's image to be a reflection of God. Jesus, Son of God, took on our likeness and as a man he reflected God's image perfectly. But it's more than that. Jesus recovered everything that was lost. Jesus, in His humanity, living as the image bearer, overcame all, didn't He? He demonstrated by His authority that He had from His Father as His image bearer, the absolute express image of His likeness and the outshining of His glory, Hebrews 1. He by His authority over what in this world? Jesus as the image bearer, had authority over nature. Jesus had authority over sickness, infirmity, demons. He had authority over all flesh. He was tempted in all points yet without sin. He's the one who overcame the world. Now here's the thing. Jesus is the one. Remember when God created man, and it says that He crowned man with honor and glory. Well, guess who, in overcoming all of this and taking the authority He had as the image bearer, the Son of God, doesn't it say that He was crowned with honor and glory? It sure does. Hebrews 2, if you want to turn there, it quotes this very verse. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 5, it says, For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Isn't that the verse we read in the Psalms? Now we're talking about the express image of God, the very image of God incarnate in the flesh. For we, in that we, he has put all in subjection under him He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see who? Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect. Through suffering. Jesus, as the image bearer of God, because of what He did on this earth, because He suffered and died in our place, has now sat down at the right hand of who? The majesty on high. The Lord, our Lord. He now sits there as the one who has restored what was lost for us. The dominion, the authority in this world. He's the one as the perfect image bearer who has been crowned with honor and glory, has restored all that was lost for you and I. What does that mean? Nothing to most. It's just a grand idea that somewhere down the road, I'm going to go to heaven. But Jesus is the express image of God. His very outshining of His glory. But what does that mean for us? Now, Jesus came. God the Son took on flesh. Right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Lived as an image bearer in this world. Had authority over all things. Well, that's great. We've heard all the stories, brother. We can read it. But does that mean anything to us? Does it mean anything that if we are now united with Him, that that authority, that position at the hand of the, at the right hand of the majesty on high as the overcomer who had authority over all things in this world. Does that mean anything to us? Or has God become too small? I think we know, at least I can speak for myself, I think I know a lot of words. And I think I know a lot of things from the Bible. But do I truly know what authority I have in this earth? Do we even consider that the authority in which Jesus has received on our behalf and has given to us by His Holy Spirit because of the life lived and because He is now seated at the right hand, do we have any authority in this world at all? Or do we just hope things will turn out okay? Remember when Jesus was in the boat and the the waves were coming over the sea and He's sleeping in the back and He gets up and says, where's your faith? Is He asking that question because where's your authority when it comes to nature? Is that a fair... Could He ask that? Where's your faith? I, I know I have authority here because I am the image bearer. I'm the creator of all things. Didn't Jesus say at the end of Matthew, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. I'd love for us all to walk in a complete understanding of the authority we have in this world. Because if Peter and John can go to the temple and pray and meet a lame man, not their brother, not some aunt and uncle, Not somebody they knew even. But to meet a lame man on the way begging and know that they have something to give. They have a name. They have a name, don't they? What's in that name? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth. It's the name of Jesus. It's his name. It represents who he is now at the right hand. It represents, it it brings the authority and the power that he has. And it brings it to the situation when we have faith. Doesn't it? Or does it? If Peter and John can say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, what makes them any different than me? I want to know. I don't want to be a superhero and raise lame people, but I'm supposed to, you're supposed to be God's image bearer. Just as Jesus was God's image bearer and did the things he did because he was. Has God not given us the same authority and dominion in this earth? Now I'm not here to criticize any of us because I'm certainly not out there raising lame people. But it frustrates me to think that I'm, like I said at the beginning, because of my lack of revelation or understanding, my God is too small. Is God infinite? Can I ask that question? Is He all-powerful? Is He everywhere at all times, past, present, future, anywhere at all times? Is there anything impossible with Him? Are are you sure? Because sometimes I think we take the finite things and make them bigger than He is. And we think that we are the ones that have to bring something to Him in order for us to have this authority. We think somehow we have to, by our performance possibly, earn what's freely been given to us by Him. If He crowned humanity with glory and honor so that they would have dominion In this earth, as his image bearer. Be to God, we were all those image bearers. It's not by our authority. We've, we are the ones who have been given authority from him who is great. We now have his authority. And we bring it to our circumstances, don't we? You're not bringing your own worked up authority. You're bringing authority from Him on high who is above everything. He's the one. By His name we bring dominion, order, subjection to the situations in our lives. So in Christ, and through His name, the authority and dominion that was given to humanity has been restored. If Peter and John and Stephen, who wasn't even an apostle, was he? Wasn't Stephen just some table waiter guy? Out there doing, full of the Holy Ghost and power and doing miracles? What makes us any different? What makes you and I different? Or is there no difference? Or is there a time, as some would say, that all that has ceased? All that, we don't need that anymore. We have the Word of God. So the the dominion and authority that God gave to mankind, us, that's been restored through His Son who was obedient to death of the cross and has now been exalted to the right hand and been given a name above every name, whether in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. I don't want to disgrace His name. I don't want to be a bearer of His name and not demonstrate His image. Jesus, I've already said, Matthew 28, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go. Go. He was telling them in the upper room before he was heading to the garden to be crucified in, Matthew, in John 16. He's telling his disciples, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Verses 26 and 27, he says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and believe that I came forth from God. So when the psalmist asks the question, What is man? Who are we? Are we His image bearers? Are we those who take His name and the authority that's been given to us in His name? Is, are we those people who bear His image and display it to the world? I want to be one of those. But I can't generate my own authority. I have to understand what I have. I have to have my eyes enlightened to who we are. Just like all of us. So the psalmist finishes just as he started with the greatness of the Lord and his name. He never allows the Lord to be diminished in who he is. And he finishes the psalm in verse 9 and says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent, and if I might add, wide and large and powerful would define that word is your name in all the earth. Is his name? still that in this earth it's not that way apart from us it's not let's not let God get any smaller if he's too small now let's start our days acknowledging how great he is how mighty he is how loving and wonderful he is how much he's provided for us all the great things. Let's not start our days unless everybody in here does that already, and I'm only talking to myself. But let's start our days magnifying God. Let's make Him and acknowledge Him as the great one. He is the Lord of all. Amen. Father we thank you for we thank you for this time and we thank you lord that you are god almighty you are the infinite all powerful one the one with whom nothing is impossible we thank you lord that as we press into you to understand and we pray as paul prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be opened And we would come to know the power that has been given us. May your Holy Spirit fill each one of us. May our eyes be enlightened to truly see you as who you are. And because you are the one in authority over all your creation, and you have given that authority to us, may we see that. May we come to understand it. And may we be the bearer of your image in this world, in this community, in our families. Lord, we just thank you for this time and we ask your blessing on each soul here. We ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen.